Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the final hour of the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT. Today's news talk. Uh, fantastic segment uh, just before the break with uh, independent French journalist and researcher Freddie Ponton. And at the end of that segment, you'll note he uh, weighed in on Emmanuel Macron's uh, precarious role in trying to uh, negotiate or to move the uh, the minxed peace process uh, down the road. Of course, that was to no avail. So poor Macron is uh, sort of left in the lurch with his election uh, uh, gambit there that he was uh, trying to engineer. So, you know, there's this is a fluid story with regards to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into this in this final hour. And uh, I'm pleased to welcome onto the show a uh, former uh, British ambassador to Syria and Bahrain, and his name is Peter Ford, and he's joining me on the line right now. Hello, Peter. Uh, hello, Patrick. Hello. Thank you for joining us. I wish it was a better occasion, but uh, as often as the case, Peter, uh, we can't predict what's going to happen uh, in the world. Uh, firstly, I'm just going to ask you, uh, what are your impressions of of what has happened uh, this morning? Uh, well, it's a, a fast-moving uh, situation, um, but it, it, it appears that uh, Russia is, has drawn its line in the sand. Um, the, uh, the Americans were moving more and more assets uh, over the, the last several months into Ukraine and was beginning to behave as though Ukraine was already uh, of NATO, um, the, uh, the, the the dividing line between between NATO and non-NATO was becoming more and more hazy. Uh, I think uh, by now um, moving to consolidate the position of the the, the uh, independent now independent uh, republics of Donbass and Lugansk. Um, Russia has drawn that, that line in, in, in the sand. And the West are leaving uh, Russia with few options, but to go further uh, by imposing draconian sanctions uh, without waiting for Russia to take uh, what were previously thought to be the, the, the steps that would prompt full sanctions, that is a full-fledged invasion of uh, uh, Ukraine. Um, the West is leaving Putin with uh, very few options and very little to, to lose. He must be saying to himself, I might as well um, do a bit of regime change of, of my own. Um, it, it can be accomplished with uh, relative ease, I believe. And I suspect that this is the path we are now on. And and Peter, I know that uh, you know you spent uh, your career in the diplomatic corps, studying international relations, studying geography, understanding people and cultures. I know this is very important. Uh, working in the Middle East, especially important in a country like Syria, uh, where you were also stationed. So you know, in terms of the geographical. Uh, historical, cultural, and political dynamics, all of those things together vis-a-vis uh, -vis Ukraine and Russia, um, you're, you, you can look at this with an analytical mind, and I'm sure you have. So mm. I'm going to ask you this question. W are you surprised by the actions of the Russian government uh, in the last week? Uh, not at all, because the uh, Americans have been creating the, the precedents, um, and specifically in Syria, although this is very little mentioned. Um, the Americans put troops into northeast Syria several uh, years ago, uh, uh, allegedly uh, in order to uh, defeat uh, ISIS. Well, ISIS has been defeated. Uh, for a long time now, and yet those American troops are still there, propping up a sort of autonomous uh, government uh, led by their favorite uh, um, uh, ethnic community in that part of the world, the, the Kurds. So there are direct parallels with, with, with what Russia, with, with all the more right 
being a neighbor uh, has done uh, in the uh, eastern part of uh, Ukraine, su supporting uh, oppressed um, uh, Russian speakers there. Uh, but nobody says a word about the, the American uh, uh, control over northeast Syria, denying the people of Syria access to the very uh, important uh, resources uh, of oil and grain in that area. And then NATO ally Turkey effectively made a land grab for uh, northwest uh, uh, Syria a few years ago, inserting thousands of uh, troops to install their own kind of puppet jihadi regime in uh, Idlib and, and to sustain it in, in that position. Uh, killing hundreds of Syrian government uh, troops in, in the process. And NATO seems to think this is just fine and dandy. So we can hardly squeal now if uh, Russia has moved to help uh, some fellow Russians in their own backyard. And, you know, I'll go into Russia's got a, a sort of specific... Uh, experience in Syria, which I think is very relevant to what we're seeing now in terms of militarily, uh, strategically. Uh, it's just suffice to say they've had a bit of practice uh, in this in this department in recent years uh, with regards to Syria. But more importantly, the the speech by Vladimir Putin uh, before he formally recognized the uh, breakaway republics of Donetsk and Lugansk, uh, which is quite an unusual address in that the length, the length of it, it was, you know, over an hour and he kind of gave his, uh, historical retrospective of, uh, Ukrainian and Russian history, uh, you know, from around, well, before the Bolshevik revolution, but going forward, especially in the 20th century. And his remarks were, uh, along the lines, Peter, that, uh, the U Ukraine as a country, uh, was, very much a political construct uh, during the Soviet era, uh, made even more complicated uh, by the uh, the rule of Nikita Khrushchev, in uh, also how he he annexed Crimea uh, in 1954 uh, to the to Ukraine as part of the Soviet states, and then the breakup of the Soviet Union uh, and what happened after uh, 19. 91 and the argument that russia is making is look this is not um it's almost he didn't say it peter but it's a failed state and you know what after the coup in maidan in february of 2014 i personally have a hard time arguing with that because what happened after the coup they basically drew polarized sectarian lines and cut off the russian speaking enclaves uh, from the political process and outlawed the Russian language in some parts of the country. I mean, so that's not really a recipe for a cohesive nation state, is it? But your, what are your thoughts on, on that side of things? Um, well, it was very useful that Putin gave us this uh, history lesson because we, we in the West uh, seem to think that history began just yesterday. Uh, the media behave as though uh, nothing that mattered before uh, yesterday counts. Um, uh, we also have a tendency to think uh, about one simple element of, of our own history, and that is uh, Munich and appeasement. So that uh, uh, any concessions to a, a foreign power uh, are rapidly characterized as Munich and uh, uh, appeasement. And this uh, holds us back from exercising any sign of sign, uh, any type of caution uh, or, or, or even common sense. Um, everything is reduced to uh, a sort of um, image of Putin as an amalgamation of, of Hitler, Mussolini, Bonaparte, and Genghis Khan. Um, this uh, rabid uh, simplification of things down to uh, to one man is quite striking. On the Russian side, there's clearly a much more nuanced uh, uh, analysis. Um, but here, uh, we boil everything down to 
uh, a very simple uh, equation, Putin, bad, West, good. Yes, yes, that's the general, that's the general theme. Uh, so now, one of the problems, the big problems here uh, is that you're, you're, you're talking about the West or NATO, they're really wanting to manage this neighborhood. They're wanting to manage the politics, they're wanting to manage the military affairs, and, and specifically the NATO membership aspirations of some factions within the current government in Ukraine. It's not to say the whole country is interested in this, clearly not, but there is a pro-Western, pro-NATO faction that the, the EU quartered them, and that was the big promise, Peter, from the Maidan coup, was that you'll be led into Europe if you just overthrow this pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych. The doors of the EU will open, and the young people came out, and they you know, they, they captured their imagination. And then NATO is being used in the same sort of way. They're selling NATO as, as an ideological uh, organization now, a political organization, a, pr a pro-democracy organization. And Jan Stoltenberg's uh, in speech today, he said that uh, NATO expansion means the expansion of democracy effectively. And Russia's basically not having this anymore. And clearly, that's what happened this morning. It was kind of a step too far. But uh, so, you know, from an international international law point of view, uh, how do you think this is this is going to be looked at? We we know how the U.S. and and the U.K. are looking at it, and some of the other European countries. But uh, how how do you think this is going to be in a broader perspective? How, how are you how are you looking at this? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, it, international law it depends on how much money you've got to spend on lawyers. Um, you can always find lawyers who will argue for one thing or for its uh, uh, opposite. And in, with uh, Ukraine, uh, the legal situation appears to be uh, messy. Uh, you have uh, the, the principle of non-acquisition of territory by force and, and non-aggression on, on the one hand, and you have self-determination of peoples uh, on the other. They both they both have in, uh, legitimacy in terms of in, international law. It all depends on who's doing it to whom. Um, America has uh, endorsed the uh, Israeli illegal annexation of territory in, the, in, in Palestine uh, and in the Syrian uh, Golan um, it, 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 with no thought whatsoever to international legality. Uh, so let's leave that on, on one side. And by the way, the Americans and, and the West generally like to talk about the need for a rules-based uh, system. Uh, they, they run away from calling it a law based system precisely because they are in contravention of international law themselves. As I mentioned earlier, the, the Turkish and American presence in Syria is totally illegal. Um, so let's leave law uh, on, on one side. But let's look more importantly at long-term consequences. If Russia had not moved decisively, then bit by bit, uh, Ukraine would have gone into the ambit of NATO, even if not formally becoming a member. Uh, the Americans were already uh, stationing uh, forward assets into uh, Ukraine um, and uh, effectively threatening uh, Russia. Uh, American missiles would be, as uh, Russia has pointed out, just minutes uh, away from from Moscow. So sooner or later, sooner or later, Russia would have been, in, in their own estimation, if no one else is, but it would have happened. Russia would have, would have moved. And it's possible that had the situation been left to fester for a few more years, the consequences could have been more dire than they're already going to be. So in fact, arguably, we have avoided World War III by what we're seeing now. 
because sooner or later there would have been uh, a big confrontation and it might be better for uh, Russia to make this surgical operation uh, now uh, to stop the cancer spreading and killing the, the body. And, um, and that, that's a thing that concerned very me. Close. Yeah, yeah, we always have to think about what would have happened if you hadn't taken a, a course of uh, action. What trajectory did, did Washington and London think they were on with constantly encouraging uh, Ukraine's uh, illusions about NATO uh, membership, and and also you you can't you can't discount R uh, Russia's relationship with Russian speaking Russian populations within Ukraine, and we don't hear any mention of the four million people living in this part of eastern Ukraine. It's as, as if they've been depersoned by the West, uh, and that speaks to another broader point, Peter. Do you think that, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned that there's this kind of uh, cultural conditioning in the West uh, that has degraded Russian people uh, to a kind of, um, it, where it's safe to demonize and to make them the enemy, uh, this sort of, you know, low, uh, second tier humans. You mentioned Putin being this kind of comic book villain that he's been characterized in the West as, but it does, they don't seem to have any concern and almost revel in the suffering of Russians, much like they do uh, in other people in other countries. But that to me, Peter, I didn't even see that to that level in the Cold War, although I know it existed in the Cold War. You could probably comment more on that, the stereotyping and things like that in, in America. But uh, that really disturbs me because then I'm like, you know, is there a chance that the Western public can bring their politicians to their senses in this atmosphere of this kind of international bigotry? But what what are your thoughts on that side of things? Um, I'm, I'm not optimistic. Uh, I mean, the the, 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 the cacophony, the, the propaganda that we're uh, reeling under at the moment in uh, in, in Britain is, is amazing. It, it, it wall to to wall. Um, all dissenting voices are crushed. Um, you have the, the Labour Party demanding the silencing of the RT, uh, Russian television uh, channel. Um, uh, we, we, we lost our moorings in, in, in reality and, 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 and fairness and decency. Uh, it, it being and you can be anti-Russian now, when you can't be anti-Muslim or, or anti-Israeli, uh, but Russophobia uh, is in fact very fashionable. Uh, at the moment, uh, the, the brunt of it is being borne by President Putin uh, and uh, oligarchs. Um, but there's a subtext, there's a subtext here against the Russian people generally reflected in, as you mentioned, uh, ignoring uh, the plight of uh, the uh, people of uh, Russian ethnic origin in eastern Ukraine. Yeah, because that's clearly, you know, from a humanitarian standpoint, plus from a political standpoint, is just really untenable. Uh, and at every turn, it seemed like the the U.S. doesn't even talk about the Minsk Accords. I never heard it mentioned until the last 48 hours, Peter. All of a sudden, the U.S. is saying, he's not following the Minsk Accords. Uh, it's the first time I've ever heard it mentioned in U.S. media in, in eight years uh, or seven years until the last uh, two days. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, so... The, but who's been undermining it the whole way? It's with the U.S. pushing uh, these various Ukrainian presidents that they've installed mm -hmm. to basically mm -hmm. sabotage it. So it was really, I think, dead. Uh, it's, it was a non-starter. Mm -hmm. It seems like Russia realized in the last, you know, especially in the last couple of weeks when things have really come to a head, that they weren't getting anything back on the other side, just mm -hmm. accusations and epithets mm -hmm. and... Uh, accusations of false flags yeah, the, uh, and also the, the, go ahead. The, the, the parallel with the Middle East the peace process, um, which uh, which are similar to the Minsk uh, Accords, in that they become uh, an excuse for maintaining the status quo. 
and uh, there not being any serious intention on the part of the Americans and their allies to implement uh, these, these uh, agreements, uh, uh, either of them, the Middle East peace process or the, the Minsk uh, Accords. Uh, they just become uh, a cover for um, building on the status quo. And uh, the, the other thing is that was really interesting was the, the OSCE, uh, which is, you know, ostensibly a neutral organization, probably one of the, the more neutral organizations in the kind of international uh, multilateral uh, organizational framework there. And, you know, they reported shelling coming from the Ukrainian military side uh, in, into D the Donbass, a massive increase, especially after uh, Moscow recognized these two breakaway republics. So that was a signal, it seemed, to, to Moscow that there wasn't going to be any ceasefire. There wasn't going to be any peace, um, that Kiev is really on a kind of a mission and NATO's on a mission. And do you think that NATO wanted this outcome? Because if you think about it, NATO is now front and center. They're all of a sudden, Peter, they're relevant again. Uh, military budgets are going to be, you know, record high in the next, who knows, 10 years. How long is this? Are we in a new Cold War? What are your thoughts on that side of things? Um, yeah, I, I doubt that it was pre-planned. Um, uh, NATO, I think, blundered into this. Uh, NATO was complacent, uh, thinking that it could advance up to the, the Russian uh, borders uh, without consequence. Uh, it, it hasn't been ready for uh, Russia's uh, re retaliation, which has been a long time coming. Um, it's uh, seven years since the, 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 the Western-backed uh, coup in, in, in Kiev. The only surprise, really, is that it's taken so, so long. Um, but no, I don't think um, NATO uh, had pre-planned this, but you're right that, that it's reaping windfall gains. Um, it, it has appeared to become more relevant, um, while in fact what's really going on is, is being masked. Uh, we talk about NATO when what we really mean is the US. <laughs> um, NATO has never been anything more than the instrument that America uses to keep Europe under control. Um, and, and sadly, this, this, uh, this perception that NATO is as an authentic existence and is not just a cat's paw for America, uh, uh, I'm afraid this, this impression has been uh, reinforced by, by the crisis. But, and, and also, um, as you mentioned, military budgets are set uh, to uh, blossom even further uh, as a result of uh, uh, all this. And precisely at a moment um, when we, the world economy, Western economies, least uh, need it. Um, but there is another dimension, and that's uh, China. Perhaps we could discuss this. Oh, absolutely. What, what are your thoughts on, on that aspect? Um, well, uh, how long you got? Well, before, <laughs> in a way... In well, a way, before, this is the most important. Well, before no, I'll be brief. before we before we talk about China, because they're also weighing in on this right now. But uh, Ukraine has asked Turkey to ban Russian ships from Black Sea routes. We're talking about closing the access to the to the Bosphorus and Dardanelles Straits, basically cutting off Russia's access to the Mediterranean. Now, that's also one of your areas, I think, of understanding mm -hmm. is that part of the world. What What do you think the a What do you think the odds of this actually happening are? And b um, If if it was to happen, what would be the ramifications of that? Mm. Um, I don't think it, it has a, a snowflake in hell's chance of happening. Turkey would not be so stupid. It, it would be a, a breach of uh, many long-standing international agreements and even more importantly would expose Turkey to uh, savage uh, Russian retaliation. Uh, Turkey is in some extremely vulnerable positions in, in Syria 
where um, where Russia is is very strong. Um, and by the way, uh, this, uh, this this move un underlines how smart Russia has been to develop uh, the port of Tartus in Syria, and um, in, over the last uh, several years has uh, made uh, Tartus uh, a very capable station for uh, uh, a Russian uh, fleet. Um, so e even if uh, the Dardanelles were briefly closed, uh, Russia still has uh, a foothold in, in the Mediterranean uh, with the, the Tartus uh, naval station. But as I say, it, 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 it's not going to come to that. Turkey is not totally stupid, uh, far, far from it. I think this is just Ukraine trying to uh, in, rattling the bars, um, just trying to get attention, uh, do the obvious uh, things, and um, ramp up uh, uh, international, particularly Western, hysteria. So that that also brings us to the uh, to Asia. We're getting uh, closer to Asia with that story. So. If 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 you could have a, a bird, you know, a, a fly in the wall view of of what's going on in Beijing right now, uh, what do you think the Chinese are thinking, looking at this situation right now? Well, it's pretty pretty clear that Putin's uh, last uh, and, and recent visit to Beijing uh, was aimed at making sure that he had. Uh, that China had his back, and that's clearly uh, what's happened. Um, the Chinese uh, have uh, their own fish to fry with America uh, and have a, a parallel situation with uh, Taiwan. They're fed up of American meddling uh, over uh, China's provinces, uh, Hong Kong, um, human rights uh, uh, activism. Um, China basically agrees with Russia that it's time to draw uh, a, a line in, in the sand and to stop this um, headlong advance uh, by uh, America into other people's spheres of uh, influence. Uh, I mean, effectively what America is saying is that Russia has no right to have a sphere of influence in, on, it, on, it, on its borders. Only America can have a sphere of influence in, in Europe. And similarly, China isn't allowed to have its sphere of influence in Asia. Um, so that these two important powers, China and Russia, are now making a, effectively a, a common stand. They're both drawing this line in the sand. And uh, America uh, will need to take that into account because China could uh, create uh, another crisis um, at, the, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, if you look at the US media right now, Peter, and you listen to the uh, the punditry class over there in the US, they're saying uh, Xi Jinping is uh, looking very closely at this situation. If, if the US and NATO don't act decisively uh, to stop Putin, uh, they're going to take that as a green light to uh, grab Taiwan uh, within weeks or maybe months. Uh, so that's, that's the verbatim, the basic conversation that's circulating right now on uh you know the F fox news network cnn and so forth so this is what the hawks are saying in the u.s uh and so do you i don't think maybe i'm wrong here but china is not interested in starting a new cold war i don't think russia is but then is the west interested in starting a new cold war i'm not sure i know the answer to that peter what do you what do you think um they don't want it, but they may uh, blunder uh, into it. Um, it, it, it. It seems that uh, America is basically uh, overreached uh, across the globe, and both Russia and China are, are saying if this goes on unchecked, uh, God knows where it will take. It will take us into a hot war. So they, they are, are, are saying uh, you've reached your high water mark. Uh, stop overreaching. Uh, 
and we can come to accommodations. I mean, you, you can argue, as, as CNN and others are doing, that not responding to Russia in, in Ukraine makes it more likely that China will intervene uh, over uh, Taiwan. But I think the opposite is, is more likely to be true, that uh, if America is so reckless as to get involved uh, militarily in uh, East, East, uh, Eastern Europe, um, um, China will move quickly to take advantage of America being embroiled in, in Europe to make its own move on Taiwan because the American forces, big as they are, can't run two major wars at the same time. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And not only that, the you know, Russia is effectively fighting on its home pitch. China would be fighting on their home pitch. Mm. So there's a there's an inherent advantage uh, in that as well. Uh, I would have thought they would have learned their lesson in Syria, Peter, on that, <laughs> but apparently not. They're still they're still pushing for it. So there's I don't know if there's a bit of a delusional aspect to this kind of uh, uh, the, the the foreign policy establishment in 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 the Beltway in Washington. Uh, much the yeah. same with with unfortunately in 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 London as well. Uh, hasn't always been that vociferous in London, as far as I can recall. It's become uh, more sort of detached uh, from from reality yeah. in, re in recent can, years. Can I, Go can ahead. Just a brief word uh, yeah. about London, because here <laughs> there's an internal um, domestic political dimension. Uh, Boris Johnson has been trying to ramp up the, uh, the, the tension um, to help himself. Uh, he's, he's politically. He, He's under fire for the so-called Partygate scandal. Um, he's being investigated by the police for apparent breaches of the lockdown uh, regulations. Uh, he could be in serious uh, trouble, but this uh, UK crisis has come along with an opportune moment for him. Uh, he's helping to uh, ratchet up the, the, the pressure uh, and the hysteria on a daily basis, and it's all just distracting from from party gate and making every day that passes makes it less likely that these police investigations will lead uh, anywhere. Uh, so Boris Johnson has these immediate tactical uh, considerations uh, in, in mind as well, while the British Labour Party is also uh, trying to exploit the, the crisis again by ramping up the, the hysteria because they feel they have to uh, do uh, down their image from the days when Jeremy Corbyn was leading the Labour Party and uh, the media created this impression that Corbyn was uh, was Putin's uh, uh, ally uh, and Labour, um, since they got rid of uh, Corbyn, have been moving further and further to the right on international affairs, have totally forgotten that they used to be the party for peace and are now the biggest warmongers. It's the British Labour Party, which is now demanding the silencing of the Russian television station uh, in UK, RT. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to take a short break. Thank you. Uh, we're with Peter Ford here, former UK ambassador to Syria and Bahrain. We're discussing the Ukraine, Russia, and NATO situation, uh, which is fluid and breaking right now. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs. 
at pva.org. I will be right by your side. Women can have it all, including heart attacks. But symptoms like jaw pain, nausea, unusual fatigue, dizziness, and backache are often different and more subtle than for a man. The fact is, heart disease is the number one killer of women. Know the signs. Learn more at getheartchecked.org. From Women's Heart Alliance, in partnership with Women Heart. We've all been told how important it is to take the COVID vaccine, but there's another side you don't hear about. Meet Maddie. She's 13. She believes in vaccines. She signed up for Pfizer's clinical trial. Today, she can't walk. Maddie still believes in vaccines and is trying her hardest to make a difference. Maddie stepped up for America. Let's step up for Maddie. Learn about Maddie. Go to VaxSafety.org. Paid for by the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. Where progress is influenced by revolution and evolution. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is TNT, today's news talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're rolling into the uh, last segment of the third hour here. And uh, on the line with me is a former UK ambassador to Syria and Bahrain, Peter Ford, uh, veteran diplomat, but also a uh, expert really in international affairs. And uh, Peter, I wanted to uh, also, well, we'll talk about the RT situation and that that whole thing. But, you know, on the ground, you're looking at a situation right now, and obviously it's developing uh, as we speak. Uh, when we hang up, there'll probably be a, a lot of things that have happened during the course of this segment. But so Russia, if you look at their recent experience in Syria and you look at, like, say, how the United States and NATO just basically exfiltrated themselves out of Afghanistan in not the most eloquent way, uh, so, you know, six six years, six plus years, going on seven years in Syria, Russia has had to make a lot of difficult calls in Syria with regards to you have the Americans on one side, you have the Turks on the other. They're also doing a pipeline deal with the Turks. You've got Syria as well. You've got Israel doing airstrikes daily. And to the point, Peter, where there's no clean options. And Russia, I think, has managed that situation, but gradually improved the overall situation for Damascus over the last seven uh, years. Uh, so they're coming out of what what looks like to a lot of people a success in a very, very difficult, would say some say impossible, impossible situation uh, with the proxy war in Syria. Going into this situation, managing it, uh, it, it, it can't, it, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I can't see it being more complicated than the Middle East. So do, do you think the, the, the West might be underestimating uh, Russia's ability to manage this situation, uh, considering their recent experience? But go ahead. Uh, uh, definitely. Um, the, the Western pundits uh, were were rubbing their hands in glee at the prospect of the, the Russians getting into a quagmire uh, in Syria. Um, uh, quagmire is exactly what the Americans got themselves into with their uh, invasions and occupations of, of places like Vietnam. Um, well, uh, in a classic case of Freudian projection, uh, CNN and those, those others uh, we're looking forward to Russia uh, getting bogged down in a, a quagmire in Syria. Um, the opposite happened. Um, Russia has taken very few hits uh, in Syria. Um, it, it hasn't uh, had to deploy uh, vast forces as it happens, but those it has deployed have done so uh, very skillfully. Uh, and to effect uh, using uh, local uh, allies, particularly the, um, the Syrian government forces. Um, uh, and the, the, the upshot has been, uh, even grudgingly uh, accepted by many Western pundits, has been a, a Russian success. Um, President Assad uh, remains in, in power with Russian support. Uh, Russia has consolidated its military position in, in the Mediterranean, as we discussed uh, earlier. Uh, it's managed to do this while 
um, confronting uh, Turkey uh, and Israel uh, over their own Syrian incursions, and yet it, it has managed to remain on speaking terms with, with both. Um, but perhaps most importantly, if we're making a comparison with uh, Ukraine and Syria, it, it is the military dimension. And based on uh, their Syrian experience, and, and by the way, the, the Russians have had more uh, direct, recent military experience than anybody in the world in, 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 uh, under real uh, fire, not training uh, conditions, uh, and their weaponry has been much in, improved and their tactics uh, honed as a result of operations in Syria. Um, I believe this will stand um, Russia in good stead in uh, Ukraine. And uh, I, I don't want to stick my uh, neck uh, out, but, but I would expect any Russian campaign in uh, uh, Ukraine to be quite short-lived. Yes, yes. And and do you, you know, they've also uh, administrated no-fly zones in Syria quite effectively uh, in, in butting up against the U.S. Air Force at the same time. Very, very complicated. And Turkey managed to uh, manage that situation. So it, could they, could they hold a no-fly zone over eastern Ukraine? What are the what are their odds of success uh, if that happens? That, that could happen in the next two days. But what, um, what do you they, think? They, I think that without too much difficulty, they could impose a, a no-fly zone over, over the, the entirety of the Ukrainian territory. Um, um, what's to stop them? Um, they uh, would, would take out uh, the Ukrainian uh, anti-air defenses. That this may already be, be happening. Um, and very quickly establish supremacy in the skies and impose a, a no-fly zone. Um, in doing that, uh, they would effectively be ending the, the battle. I don't think uh, the, Russia, the, the Ukrainian forces would um, even attempt to put up much uh, opposition uh, under such a scenario. And uh, Vladimir Putin came out pretty uh, very strong language, uh, basically calling, uh, all but calling it, I, I believe he might even use this term, a fascist junta that was installed in 2014 and basically saying that the object of this limited military operation is to demilitarize the U Ukraine as a country. Uh, and I assume that means destroy a lot of the weapons that NATO and the U.S. and Britain have been applying uh, mm -hmm. them with, uh, and also mm -hmm. to denazification of Ukraine. So mm -hmm. he's calling that out. By the way, the Western media is saying he's calling Zelensky a Nazi and Zelensky is uh, Jewish and so forth. So they're, they're already gaslighting that talking point to get away from talking about the Azov battalions and all the very extreme mm -hmm. far-right uh, mm -hmm. militias and paramilitaries that the U.S. has been backing uh, for so long there. But so, mm -hmm. so what do you think about that, the denazification of Ukraine and bringing them to justice for the Odessa massacre and all the rest of it? That's, uh, that's pretty, well, pretty serious, Peter. In, in, indeed, and this is, uh, it would be consistent with a, a strategy of um, trying to prompt uh, an, uh, an internal collapse without need for an actual Russian invasion. Um, it might be enough to prompt uh, internal uh, collapse uh, by provoking uh, uh, flight by those who fit the description of, uh, of Ukrainian pro-Nazis uh, um, and judging by the convoys making their way out of uh, Kiev, um, that might actually be, be happening. Um, I think one can expect other steps consistent with such a strategy of, of causing internal collapse uh, without even having to put many boots on the ground. Uh, I mean, economic uh, collapse uh, is part of that picture as well. 
yes, that's that's quite a ways down the road, the economic collapse part. But the political collapse, like you said, Peter, without even having to really fire a shot, so to speak, uh, there, you know, where do you think there's, I, I don't see President Zelensky, a former actor who's been in power for a couple of years, uh, I don't see him with a strong support base, a legacy base. I, I see the potential for a lot of uh, fractiousness in in Kiev uh, because people might eventually what be blaming each other for what's happening. Do you think that's is that where it's headed in Kiev? Do you think, Peter? Uh, well, I'm not an, an expert on uh, uh, Ukraine uh, domestic uh, politics, uh, but. I do recognize uh, the, the, the tactics uh, being used here by um, Russia. Uh, I think they, they have a, a concerted information strategy, and part of it is to encourage uh, internal collapse. Mm. And I think they, they have a much better reading of Ukrainian domestic politics than um, the wishful thinking Western politicians have. <laughs> so you think the Russians actually have a better reading on the Ukrainian domestic situation than Boris Johnson does? I mean, come on, Peter. <laughs> come on. Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, 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 the half the population of Ukraine wasn't, wasn't Russian anyway, and I think the vast majority of the Ukrainians uh, speak uh, uh, Russian as well as Ukrainian. Uh, what, what about Ben Wallace, def UK Defense Secretary, made a comment. It was caught on camera yesterday. Uh, he said he's, he was talking to some uh, some of the guards, uh, soldiers there in a meeting room. He says, well, you know, we kicked the czar's butt in 1850 and we can do it again. I mean, in the Crimean War, he's talking about. I mean, what do you who, what do you think about those sorts of comments? I mean, it, it's, it, it's deplorable. It, it's, inf it's infantile. In, in, in a word, it, it's infantile. The entire conduct of British foreign policy is infantile. I mean, we, the country is being led by a manifest clown, and, and he's aided and abetted by the likes of, 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 of Wallace, who think it's, thinks it's funny to make jokes about the carnage of the Crimean War um, in the context of a, an ongoing conflict uh, with uh, uh, Ukraine and, and boasting uh, about it. Um, it, it, it. It's kind of, uh, it is so typically British imperial thinking that what happened uh, 150 years ago is the template of what's happening now. We cannot get over ourselves, can we? Mm. Yeah, historically and in the present day, uh, I just see an, an unballasted, an unballasted, rudderless culture or p political culture anyway, political leadership. But lastly, we've got a couple of minutes left and we're going to wrap this up. It's been a great discussion, Peter. But the, you mentioned the uh, Labor Party, Keir Starmer, his calls on the floor of the House of Commons to ban RT, uh, the Russian international broadcaster. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this? Um, well, it's shocking, but not surprising. Um, uh, steadily since uh, Starmer uh, stabbed Jeremy Corbyn in the back and helped get rid of him as leader, um, Corbyn has moving, been moving the party to, to the right uh, on, on every level. We've as leader, um, Corbyn is moving, been moving the party to, to the right uh, on, on every level. We saw this during the, the COVID crisis when Labour wanted uh, even more authoritarian measures uh, than those uh, brought in by the uh, nominally right-wing Conservative uh, government. Um, and in the same way, he's demanding even more restrictions, uh, sanctions, against uh, Russia, uh, including uh, the, the silencing of, of, of dissent uh, on the part of uh, RT. I mean, this should be coming from a party which not many years ago um, brought in uh, a, a, 
Freedom of Information uh, Act um, speaks uh, volumes for the trajectory that Labour has been, been on. Uh, it is now not just indistinguishable from right-wing Tories, but it's trying to outflank the Tories on the right. Yes, yeah, that's that's a comment I, I've heard other people make uh, as well, and not to mention um, Keir Starmer seems to have played a role when he was the head of the CPS uh, in basically putting Julian Assange in that incredible, impossible uh, position between the Swedish judiciary, uh, the UK law enforcement, and the Americans uh, as well that led to him being effectively being on ice and uh, in arbitrary detention for so long. So, I mean, there's that too. But uh, yeah, it's a pre- uh, the British political side of things is not pretty at all. Uh, certainly, uh, I don't know what to say about that other than I'm trying well, to. There are, there, are, there are no voices currently in, in Britain calling for caution, calling for even simple consideration of, of, of sanctions backfiring on us. Nobody's asking, well, what if Syria, sorry, what if Russia retaliates? Nobody's even asking that basic question, and, and, and yet we know, and, and not long ago, we were trumpeting about Russia's uh, uh, cyber capacity. Are we not worried about possible uh, Russian cyber attacks on our like financial infrastructure? I, I tell you, I've stocked up already on, on cash from <laughs> before the banks closed down, and I recommend others do the same. Wow. Wow. Well, that's something to think about, too. Well, there's a lot to think about. Things are things are happening really quickly. And uh, we want to thank thank you, Peter Ford, former UK ambassador to Syria and Bahrain, for joining us for this very, very important uh, discussion. Uh, certainly, we hope there's going to be more, more d- discussions and more analysis on this that we're able to do that. And uh, thank you. Thankfully, we have networks like this, like TNT. Uh, We can also see more analysis at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you, Peter Ford, for joining us today. Thank you, Patrick, for offering an outlet for voices of sanity. (laughs) Well, we're going to try our best. We're going to try our best. Thank you, Peter. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in on this live broadcast. And also thank you to our new listeners. I've I've seen quite a few come through the Telegram pipeline. Uh, Very much appreciated. And uh, listen. We'll see you on Sunday. Tune into the Sunday Wire on ACR, 21st Century Wire. We'll be there. We've got a hopefully a, a nice uh, lineup of guests for Sunday. And then I'll see you here on TNT next Tuesday, 12 p.m. UK time and Thursday as well. We'll have a lot to talk about. I'm absolutely certain of it. But listen, take care, everybody. Hope you have a great weekend.